Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Mariana Thinks Food. Thank you for tuning in. It's been a couple weeks since I last posted because I've been just reading too much. And now we have the podcast. So we're talking about carbs today, also commonly known as carbohydrates. But because I am not going to say carbohydrates the entire time, just remember carbs are carbohydrates. So Carbs, they can be separated into simple and complex. Simple carbohydrates include monosaccharides and disaccharides, which are fairly simple chains, including a central carbon molecule bonded to two hydrogen and one oxygen. Insert flashback to high school chemistry class. I'm so glad that's behind me. But moving on. Monosaccharides include glucose, fructose, and galactose. You've heard about glucose and fructose before. And disaccharides are combinations of these three monosaccharides. Monosaccharides are absorbed into the bloodstream easily without needing to be digested, but disaccharides need to be broken down. The molecules need to be separated, and this process is called hydrolysis. Once the molecules are separated, they can be absorbed into the bloodstream. Easy. Complex carbs, on the other hand, come in a more complex package, which includes fiber and micronutrients. So aside from breaking down disaccharides or absorbing the monosaccharides, you have to digest the fiber and micronutrients. More work for your body, so it's better for insulin regulation. Fiber is our friend. As you know from my vegetables post a few weeks ago, or now a few months ago, time flies. Anyway, it's almost October, dear God. Um, well, so fiber is a, our friend. It is a type of carb, but your body cannot digest it. So it passes through helping regulate your body's use of sugar and keeping you full. Isn't that great? Like you eat food and you actually feel full. Um, so the minimum recommended intake is between 20 and 30 grams. But according to the internet, most people don't even get 15 grams. If you were to eat vegetables, fruits, beans, and nuts, you should be able to attain the minimum. Please eat plants. Lots of them. They're delicious. They have a lot of nutrients. Moving on to more fiber info. So fiber is divided between soluble and insoluble fiber. Soluble fiber dissolves in water and can help lower glucose levels and help lower blood cholesterol. Some foods that contain soluble fiber include oatmeal, nuts, beans, blueberries, apples, and beyond. Insoluble fiber, on the other hand, does not dissolve in water and is basically bulky matter that pushes through your digestive system. Think Drano, helping you stay regular, if you know what I mean. It is found in whole grains, brown rice, legumes, carrots, broccoli, and beyond. All these foods are normal foods. We should all be eating them, but apparently people aren't eating enough of them. And I would encourage you to eat more of them. And I made the distinction and focused on soluble and insoluble fiber and the differences because a lot of these uh, powders that are now being sold for people to bulk up or meal substitutes or these bars that you're supposed to eat and then lose weight or whatever have a lot of fiber that either your body cannot digest or it's not necessarily the one that you need most. Um, so just keep in mind that there are two different types of fiber um, one is not necessarily better than the other, but it's good to have a good mix of both. Fiber has many benefits. It can slow down the absorption of glucose in your body. This is great for people who have issues digesting sugar, such as type 2 diabetics, and for anyone else who is looking to maintain a healthy diet. I know for me, I cannot 
eat a ton of sugar without getting a headache. And that is something good to know about myself. And so I eat foods with lots of fiber and protein and fats uh, to compensate. So enough about me. Um, fiber can reduce the risk of many diseases, including heart disease, diabetes, constipation, but also it can reduce your risk of breast cancer. This was like the most revealing thing I read on carbs. Apparently a study from 2016 led by researchers at Harvard's uh, TH Chan School of Public Health supported that higher fiber intake, especially during your teens and early adulthood, can reduce breast cancer risk as compared to young individuals with lower fiber intake. Now that's pretty impressive, especially in a time when one in eight women, both the US and the EU will develop breast cancer in their lifetime. I don't know about you, but I don't like that ratio. And if you have any family members or friends who are in this age group, please promote um, higher fiber intakes because if there's anything we can do to avoid issues in the future, why not? And come on, eating broccoli isn't that bad and whole grains and, you know, a little carrot cake here and there. It has fiber. It's good for you. So now going a little bit deeper on carbs. So what happens when we eat carbs? Well, a number of enzymes, mainly amylases and various disaccharides, break down the starch and disaccharides into monosaccharides. These basic molecules your body can absorb more easily. The dietary fiber that comes in with the food won't be digested by your digestive enzymes, but will be digested by bacteria in the gut. Excess carbs are stored in your muscles and liver in the form of glycogen. If these stores are full, then the carbs will convert into fat. Yikes. But sometimes that's good, you know, when people are pregnant, they need fat, and maybe if there's famine, but we're not there yet, thank God, and hopefully you never see that again. So, interestingly enough, this is a one-way street. Carbs can turn into fat, but fat cannot turn into carbs. No wonder losing weight is so hard. You can't reverse the process. So you need to do something else which is more difficult and more painful and very, very uncomfortable. So what happens when we don't eat any carbs? Because there are a lot of diets out there that is, say carbs are the worst, you shouldn't eat any, you have keto diets and a bunch of crazy things. Um, so if our bodies need energy and there are no carbs to be found, the next source of energy is the glucose stored in our muscle tissues. So when we fast, our bodies start breaking down muscle tissues and other tissues to release amino acids that can be converted into sugar that can then be used as energy. This actually confused me a bit because if you want to lose weight, why do you go through your muscle first and not your fat? So I dug a little deeper, of course, and I found this fun fact. An adult liver can hold about 400 calories or about 100 grams of carbs and muscles can store about 1400 calories or 400 grams of carbohydrates. The glycogen in one muscle cannot be used by another muscle. If you're working out your legs, you are only using the glycogen that is stored in those muscles. But that doesn't mean that by doing a thousand squats, you're going to get buns of steel. Don't get confused. A thousand squats might make you run out of glucose in your buttocks region, but you won't necessarily start eating through your muscle. Um, if you are eating and regenerating and not starving yourself, then you should be able to build muscle. To train for endurance, you need to have eaten carbs and your glycogen stores should be full before and after. 
If you're working out for more than 45 minutes, say running a marathon, you could consume carbs throughout to keep your energy up. The more intense the workout, the more you need carbs to provide glycogen to your body. For low intensity training, like walking, um, you use fat. The more you train and the more efficient your body gets, the more your body will go to fat for energy. And then the glycogen stores in your muscle. So for everyone training out there, the conclusion is if you're better trained, you will be storing the glycogen in your muscles and burning the fat first. If you train in a low intensity way, a high carb diet won't necessarily improve your performance. But if you're training in a high intensity way, more carbs will allow you to work out for longer and feel better afterwards. Which is the interesting bit now with all these fad diets and the very strict ones like the keto diet, where if you're not eating any carbs and just eating a lot of fat and protein, you're not giving your body the necessary nutrients for it to strengthen. Keto diets have been very useful for some people to lose weight, others to manage symptoms for certain diseases. Um, all of this should be done with the advice of a registered dietitian um, and not just decide, okay, I'm going to go on a keto diet because not all bodies will handle that, you know, the same way or actually have good outcomes. And what happens is that if you eat through all the glucose in your muscles, because you're not eating any carbs, eventually your body's going to start eating itself. And yeah, you think that that's good um, because eventually you'll start eating fat. But if you do this in a strict way and an unsustainable way, you're going to eat through your muscle. And then once you get tired, you're going to stop doing the keto diet or whichever fad diet, and you're going to eat more or normally as you would before, and then replace what that muscle was into fat. And that's why apparently around 10% of people who go through diets actually remain at the weight post-diet. The other 90%, and that's a crazy statistic, 90% go back um, to their previous weight or even gain weight. So something to keep in mind, extremes aren't good. Carbs are good. And especially vegetables and fruits that give you so many nutrients. That being said, we need to be very aware of what marketing companies are using. Because there's this thing called high fructose corn syrup, where it became popular in the United States because corn Farming was subsidized, so it was cheaper to have that than cane sugar, which was what was traditionally used. And then people started thinking that it was less bad than sugar and consuming it more. Fructose, which is what is in high fructose corn syrup, although it's also in fruit, it has a quite interesting characteristic. I want you to pay attention to this technical bit. Um, and I'll explain why afterwards. All dietary fructose is processed by the liver. The other tissues lack the enzyme to process fructose. While the liver may process some glucose, a lot goes to other places, such as the brain, muscles, and other tissues. In the liver, fructose can be converted into glycogen. 
But if glycogen stores are full, it will be converted into fat. The fat can be exported from the liver as part of VLDL, or it can stay in the liver. Excessive fructose intake can trigger a fatty liver. In humans, the development of a fatty liver is strongly linked to obesity. This form of liver disease is called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease and is becoming increasingly common. So, although we might think fructose is good because it comes from fruit, excessive consumption is actually very bad for us and can lead to obesity. So, just because things say that they're naturally sweetened um, doesn't mean that it's healthier or better for you. And that's a trick that uh, companies do for marketing because if you say it's naturally sweet, then it's good for you. But no, natural means it can be from sugar cane, it could be from corn, it could be from sugar beets. Um, that's still natural, but it's doctored so that you eat more of it than you should and not feel as satisfied. So think about that next time you drink a 12-ounce can of soda that contains nearly 40 grams of sugar. It could be fructose, it can be naturally sweetened, but it's still sugar and it could lead to fatty liver. Very optimistic conversation here, but I'm sorry, I need to lay down the facts. We need carbs, just pick them in a way that it's less processed, lots of whole fruits and vegetables. Um, they give you the best bang for your buck. Like they have fiber and micronutrients and they keep you full and they're tasty. And then you can put them on everything and they're might not be accessible for a lot of people, um, in, in fresh form, but frozen vegetables are amazing and frozen fruits as well. They're frozen at peak ripeness and they can store for a really long time. So I highly recommend them. So now that we know all this stuff, that's probably really useless for you. Um, but this next bit might be more useful. So how do we measure carbs in food and sugar and all this business? Apparently, traditionally, carbs are calculated by subtraction. Yes, you heard me. Math class. The total weight of the food minus fat minus protein, minus ash, which is like somehow how they quantify minerals, minus water equals the carbohydrate content. Basically, we take everything we know and then subtract it and voila, the rest should be carbs, right? Thankfully, now there are additional analytical methods to determine the various types of carbs present in food, but still, what we don't know. But what we do know is that we have a spectrum of simple and complex carbohydrates called the glycemic index. Um, it describes the relative increase in blood glucose after consuming a particular food in comparison with a standard food. Foods that have a high glycemic index cause a stronger increase in blood glucose than foods with a low glycemic index, which causes a shallow increase in the blood glucose. But be aware that the glycemic index depends on many factors pertaining to the individual, how they digest food, what time of day they eat. Oh, well, Joy, that's complicated. But also, something that they've adapted is this whole glycemic load because they figured that people are eating quantities way larger than are recommended because, come on, who really serves themselves 30 grams of cereal? No one. So... Even though cereal might be 
Uh, it might be a high fiber cereal on the low glycemic index on the low range. Consuming large amounts of it will cause a similar negative effect as consuming a high glycemic index food. So you might even be better off eating small quantities of a high glycemic food than thinking you can overdo it with a low glycemic food. Foods that have a high glycemic index include white bread, white rice, glucose, and potatoes. Foods with a low GI include beans, whole grains, cereals, oats, brown rice, wheat, rye, and most fruits and vegetables. Interestingly, fructose has a low GI. If you're curious about food compositions, um, there are websites that you can look this up. So the USDA has a pretty complete website, and the European equivalent is called Eurofear. So Google it and look for your favorite foods to see um, what you're doing, what you're eating, and if you actually should be toning it down, like me with dates. I figured out recently that one medjool date has a ton of sugar, and I was enjoying them so much, but now obviously I should have one date, not six. Um, and that is my struggle, but Hey, back to you. So what do we know today? Carbs are not bad. Carbs are good. There are different types of carbs. We absorb them differently. There are a variety of packages that they can come in. They can have a lot of fiber and micronutrients. Others are just simple and give us a lot of energy and a boost of sugar. Sometimes we need that. Um, there are different ways to look for information and to understand which carbs might be better for regulating our insulin levels, uh, depending on how your health is or whether you want to lose weight or not. But the info is clear. Eat lots of vegetables and fruits and whole grains and a diverse diet with fiber and nutrients and keep it diverse. Eating the same thing every day kind of, you know, it's a little boring. And if you find it boring watching the same thing every day, imagine your body eating the same thing. So spice it up, add a little parsley or some basil or some cilantro or some spices. A lot of spices have a ton of nutrients and bring you a lot of benefits. So get creative. And I leave you with this lovely fun fact um, for people who have kids and or are thinking about having kids or will have them in, possibly in the future you know these corona babies that are exploding through the world my dear world this class in 18 years to get into college it's going to be impossible so I don't know anyone who can send them to tutoring or like improve their food intake, make them superior. I don't know. You're going to, it's going to be fun fighting for this kindergarten class in six years. Well, I digress as always. So apparently according to nutrition, this nutrition course I've been taking, the problem of obesity and unhealthy lifestyle starts within the first 1000 days after conception. You heard it. So from the time that baby is... Um, in your womb until a thousand days afterwards, you are determining how their relationship with food will be. So from conceiving until the child is two years old, this is the golden time. And I quote from the course, this is where most of the metabolic programming occurs. This is where most of the behavior is learned. 
the conditioning of behaviors, the development of taste preferences, the motoric skills, the micromotoric skills are developed in that period as well. And they have lifelong lasting effects, unquote. Who knew you could destroy a child's lifelong relationship with food even before they learn how to do anything? So you're responsible as a parent, you're responsible as a human being on this earth to source healthy, nutritious food for yourself, for your children, um, for your parents, for everyone. And now that you have this information that you probably could have read on the internet, but um, because I am telling you now, hopefully now you know in a more concise way and hopefully entertaining, now you know that this is, the, this is the information that has been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yes, details change. There were fights against fat in the 80s and 90s, and then now it's a fight up with carbs, so everyone's banning them and wants to do keto and or gluten-free or whatever. But remember that we are the result of the largest and most extensive research study known to man. The fact that we are here, the fact that you are listening to this podcast means that someone along your ancestral line has made a pretty good decision on what they ate and their survival rate was long enough to allow for you to be born or someone, your great-grandparents or your great-grandparents. So learning from what people used to do and what they've done traditionally is very important because yes, science will give us more information on details on like why certain things are good for us. But there are certain things that we can get from tradition that we don't necessarily need to have a company teach us. So for food, and and I relate to this as my Spanish heritage comes in, at my grandmother's house, we used to have a first dish, which was soup or a salad, then a plate with kind of a stew or a protein um, and some carbs, and then maybe some fruit for dessert. Lots of whole foods, lots of um, unprocessed foods. And although before I didn't know that, well, it's good to have carbs and protein and fats before it was just food and it was good and I felt full and it made complete sense. Uh, so now with all these meal plans coming around, it's like, okay, you need to measure your macronutrients and then you need to do this. And then you need to take this powder to, so that your body can be stronger and you build more muscle. Come on, like just eat unprocessed foods that have been sourced from places where like, at least the animals aren't being abused. Hopefully I have no idea if You can even know that anymore, but I have faith that we all inherently know how to eat. Um, This is just my way of sharing new information that I found along the way. And I look forward to my next podcast, which will not be nutrient specific or um, about recommendations of food, but it will be more about the whole system Um, so why are we against GMOs, um, which is a controversial topic or what is this whole alternative protein space? Like, why do we have all these companies trying to make meats out of Petri dishes? 
Like, is that going to be good for us? Um, and I'll give you information. You can make your own conclusion and hopefully in the process, uh, learn a lot about food and enjoy it as much as I do. So thank you for tuning in today. I really enjoyed learning about this topic. If you have any topics that you're interested in and you want me to look into, um, please uh, message me on Instagram or on my email account, marianathingsfood at gmail.com. And I'll try to do that as soon as I can. So thank you again. Have a great week and enjoy the last days of September because Q4 is coming and winter is coming. Bye.